This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Many of our listeners are in charge of cybersecurity at their company. But do you really know what's going on with your security controls? Are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is, when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check them out at attackiq.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. Our guest of honor this week is Tia Hopkins. To Chris and I, Tia is a cybersecurity hero and rock star. Her focus on inclusion and diversity in cybersecurity is something to be admired. She's the founder of Empower Her Cybersecurity, where she focuses on empowering, mentoring, educating, and providing opportunities for women of color. We had a great conversation with Tia and we're really inspired by her growth mindset. Can't wait for you to check out this episode, so let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here in the studio, along with a very special guest that's doing a lot for our community. We have Tia Hopkins. She is the VP of Global Solution Engineering at eCentire and also founder, and you put together Empower Her Cybersecurity, empowering women and people of color in the industry. Welcome to the show, Tia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tia, we had the privilege of being on a panel together, and I have to say, you were the MVP of that panel. Everything you were saying, all the knowledge bombs, the energy, it was infectious. We really appreciated it. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Oh, man, that is such a loaded question. Uh, so, yeah, we'll start with my background. I've always been into to technology. One of the joke, or if you want to consider that, that I always tell when I'm chatting about the way I came up is that I built my first computer at 12 as a result of taking apart the first one my mom ever bought for me and then being threatened with my life if I didn't put it back. So that's where it all got started. And from there, I got into working for the phone company doing DSL installations back when DSL was cool. And that spiraled into an IT gig that led to a director of IT gig. And then I decided to um, pivot into cyber because I wanted to really do something with myself and specialize. And that led me to where I am uh, today. But I started out more hands-on, I would say leader, but I was a leader and a doer. I was afraid to let go of the the keyboard warrior life. And then when I pivoted into to cyber, I wanted to remain that way. But I guess with where I was in my career and my background in leadership, organizations just, they didn't want me behind a keyboard. They wanted me in front of people. So that's where the pre-sales technical role came from. And I started out as an individual contributor with, with the company I'm at now, East Entire. And, and yeah, in three years, I'm, I'm leading the global org 
And then just a bit about what we do. We're, we're an organization that does manage detection and response. So we have two global security operations centers that essentially hunt for and, and respond to uh, cyber threats on behalf of our customers. I'd love to dive into that leadership component just for a moment, especially when it comes from a technical perspective. What did you think it was going to be like going into that leadership position? But then how was it different than you thought it was going to be? If I'm being honest, I, I never chose leadership. I've always been told that I have the pedigree of a leader and I should be in leadership and I should have my own company. And I'm like, no, I just want to be a doer. I like solving problems. But it got to the point that it was just inevitable and, and it, it was almost irresponsible for me to continue to run from what was clearly my path. And I think what I feared was doing less, translating into being able to do less because I love technology and I love that always having my hands on something enables me to have intelligent conversations around what I'm doing. And I think for me, something that's important to me as a leader to be able to do the things that I'm leading my team to do. And I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to do that as effectively if I wasn't actually doing it every day. But I think what got me to get out of that was as an individual, I impact just what I'm working on. But as a leader, I can leverage my experience to have a broader impact through my team. And if I'm being honest, what helped me with the transition into leadership was actually playing football and then transitioning into coaching. It was the same kind of feel like, am I really ready to give it up? But football is a bit different, right? You're, when your body says no, you just can't do it anymore and you have no choice. But going from the player to coach role was essentially what helped me go from the individual trip contributor to leadership role. And then in terms of what's different about it from what I expected, I just thought it would be leading, not really in the weeds anymore, concerned about not being able to have conversations the way that I was used to having and driving the level of value that I was used to having in those conversations from a consultative perspective. But the reality is, if it's important enough to me, I'll just keep those skills warm. And I'm really big on doing that. So I do jump in on deals when I can, obviously helping my team out, but I do focus on keeping my own skills um, up to date as well, even though it's not really a requirement of my, my job from a leadership perspective. I can definitely relate there. For me, I was really keen on doing the research, the analysis, the response. But really what I learned over time is I can do and go and learn and try to perform all these things, but there's someone that might do it faster than me. Mm -hmm. But I have the insight to take these problems, these challenges, and simplify them for someone else to go do them. Do you find yourself still being that player coach type of position? Absolutely. I don't think the way that I'm wired, I don't think I'll ever get away from that. Even if I became a CEO somewhere one day, I'd still be hanging out with the team. Hey, what are we up to? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And speaking of football, I saw that there was a recent award that you got. What is that in relation to? Oh, I, get, I assume you're talking about the Hall of Fame induction? Yes. Yeah. So I am an assistant coach for American football events, and they are an organization that it's a football organization, but it's funny because I see it as a community service organization that 
happens to play football games also. So there's a men's team and a women's team, and it's put together through a selection process of football players across the the country. And and we even have some players from other countries that want to join us. But basically, we pull a team together. And of course, pre-COVID, we would travel to other countries and and play tournaments. So I've traveled to uh, Cancun with the team and, and also to Honduras. And they had their 2021 Hall of Fame inductees this year, and, and they selected me. And I was, I was blown away because I don't do any of the things I do for recognition. I just do it to give back and help people feel good about themselves and own their power and, and leverage it to their advantage and things like that. So to be recognized, I think what's what's special for me is, is just knowing that I'm having an impact less so than I, I got an award. And I think that's what leads to that is, is the, the fact that you're not doing this for accolades. You're doing this because you want to help people. And so people recognize that. And that's why you're everywhere. Like you're in so many projects, it seems. And it seems like you're just having one of the best periods of your life. It, would I be correct in that? I think so. I, I don't I don't really <laughs> see if, how it could go up from here, but I suppose I shouldn't say that. But it, it definitely does feel like I've been shot out of a cannon and, and I'm peeking. One thing I got to ask you about is the Amazon series season two that's going to be coming out. How did you get involved with that project? We have a good friend that was involved with season one. How did you get into that? Yeah. That's super cool. So I, it's funny, I'm going to tell a story to tell a story, but years ago, I think in my bachelor's program in, in my English course, which is one of my least favorite subjects, I had a really great English teacher that helped me not not enjoy writing so much. But one of the things that she mentioned that stuck with me was happy accidents and and things just happened that work out really well when we intended uh, something else. And the situation with with social movement was a a happy accident. Um, I was at Black Hat one year and I just happened to be uh, sitting at a bar after it was all over, exhausted from all the conversations and excitement and socializing and things like that. And there was a lady sitting next to me at at the bar and and we were just chatting it up, having a conversation, getting to know each other. And before she left, she took my card. And here we are two years later, she got involved with the movement and pinged me on LinkedIn. And, And what she said was that she keeps a bag of business cards of people that she wants to make sure she stays connected to and, and, and what they're doing And that 30, 40 minute conversation that we had at the bar led her to saying that she had to reach out to me to get involved in this. And I was just blown away by that. And so the premise is four days to change the world. Can you talk about what that season's going to be about or is that still under wraps? It is a bit still under wraps. I can tell you that my challenge to solve for is racism, if that's a pretty big one to take on in in four days. But uh, the idea is to just bring brilliant minds together with a task that to some seems impossible, but I don't think any of the individuals that I'm going to be working with believe in the word impossible. And that's probably why we're doing it. Speaking of tackling these tough problems and challenges, I know that you're doing a lot in the community, especially with your organization, Empower Her. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Why did you start it and what are you all focused on? I know I need to take action on something when I can't stop thinking about it. And so Empower Cyber started with me just typing notes on a notepad in my iPhone. Oh, it'd be cool if we do this. And I think the community needs that. And what do we do with these things? But when the moment comes, I I know when it comes. And and I can't remember exactly 
what happened, but it just hit me that something needs to be done to diversify the cybersecurity talent pipeline. And there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's some organizations out there that target women in cybersecurity. And then there's organizations that target minorities in cybersecurity, right? In an effort to diversify the pipeline. But I didn't see a lot of focus on the intersection of the two. And not to say that women of color have more challenges than other groups out there, but they definitely have different challenges. And what I find is a lot of the challenges in general associated with getting into the cybersecurity space stem from not a lack of resources, but a lack of guidance on what to do with those resources and the fear of making the wrong decision. And it just looks so hard to get into cybersecurity and everyone seems so smart. And if I can't have these conversations off the bat, I'm not going to be successful. So for me, the need was there's got to be a place for women of color to feel safe, to make mistakes, to ask questions that might not go over well with someone that knows more than they do, or to pitch an idea and not have to worry about someone uh, taking it and, and claiming it as their own. And so that's where it really started for me. And I really didn't know what to expect. I just really felt in my spirit that it was something that the community needed, just a place for to get us all together, whether you've been doing it for 10 years, 15 years, or you're figuring out if you want to do it or you're in it, but not sure you're in the right space. You just come here and, and figure it out. Go out and get that information. Go to that webinar, attend that boot camp, get that degree. But then what makes you different? Mm -hmm. There's thousands of people attending webinars and getting degrees and getting certifications and going to boot camps. But what's different about you and how is that going to make you successful in this field? And how should you take that and own your power and propel yourself forward? And so the focus is really on the whole person. We have the table stakes, things like webinars and study groups, and we post training opportunities that are out there and, and we partner with organizations that do things really well, like Blackton Cybersecurity with, the, with their conferences and Capture the Flag and things like that. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel or rebuild anything that's already built. We really just want to be super connectors and make sure these women have an outlet for asking the questions and get real answers that are considering where they're actually trying to go and not just high level, yeah, this is what everybody else is doing and be able to point them in the right direction. That is so incredible. And I'm so glad that you're pushing this initiative forward. And in fact, I see a lot of similarities between what we're trying to do with Hacker Valley Studio and what you're trying to do with Empower Her. I'd love to hear a story about working on this craft, working on this baby that you have. There has to have been a moment where you were like, this is exactly what I needed to do. Working with these strong women, did you have a moment where you were like, this is exactly what I was supposed to do? I got to tell you, that moment happened probably when we had our first inaugural meeting because I had my idea of what the gap was, my idea of how that message needed to be positioned and what do we need to have on the website? Who are we targeting, et cetera. But there's what you put out there and then that's how, there's how it's perceived. So what I wanted to do was launch the organization and, and put it out there in the universe and see what the draw was. Because in my mind, I want to help more women feel confident that they can have 
a successful career in cybersecurity because there's, I think I can, and I know I can, and the two are very different, right? And so confidence, having no competition is really important because you have to believe you can be successful or it just doesn't matter what you do, in my opinion. So anyway, what I wanted to do is get it out there and see what the response was because I didn't know if I would reach the women that were interested or if it would just be women that are already in the space and then we would all just come together and figure out collectively what we could do to bring more in. So fast forward to the first inaugural event and we had over a hundred registrants to attend. And of course, COVID and everything and so many webinars going on, we had about half of that in attendance. And that was October 1st that we launched. The inaugural meeting was October 26th. and, And here we are in December and we have over 150 members. So there's not a day that I don't just sit back and watch the conversations that are going on and the women that are excited that they're getting real support and real answers. And I found my tribe. So I've probably been saying this is exactly what I should have done for the last month and a half now. Love that. And congrats on getting started and getting that kicked off and having such a good amount of members attend already. For Chris and I, during COVID, everything has changed for us. We used to record in the same place and now we have to record separately because of the lockdown. What do you think has really changed for you since the lockdown? Do you think starting this organization has been easier due to that and just being connected online or do you think it's made it more difficult? If I'm being honest, I don't think the organization would have started if not for lockdown, because pre-COVID, I think in a good week, I was probably home two to three days. So I was always traveling. And so when I was home, it was all about my family. My family is everything to me. I say all the time, I'm involved in a whole lot of stuff. But if my wife ever came to me and said, babe, you're doing too much. I I need to spend more time with you. Something's got to go. So I'm lucky in that respect that she's super supportive. Saying all that to say, when I was traveling all the time, there was really no time to do anything extracurricular, if you will. Because even pre-COVID, I was a, a university professor as well, and coaching football. So adding something else to that was just not going to happen. But now that I'm home, I I can make that time count more. I feel better about taking more things on. I'm not traveling. So I think it's different when I'm just going from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting and getting things done for work versus being at an airport and and, and an Uber, going from place to place. Your mind is just all over the place. So I am able to focus more I am able to manage my time a bit better, so much so that I started a PhD program as well. So as much COVID fatigue as I'm experiencing right now and, and, and as sick of it as I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all are, there, there is some good that's come out of it. I think folks were able to slow down a bit and focus on the things that matter. If I was listening, you basically have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's <laughs> Obviously, you're doing so much work on yourself. You're doing so much work on your community. What do you think is your superpower when it comes to doing these things? Because obviously you have an inspiration to do more, but you have to have something that that many other people might not have. So what would you say your superpower is? I don't know what to call it, but if you would ask the the group of ladies that I work with for Empower Her, they're my, I call them my dream team. If you ask the dream team, they would say, yes, she has a superpower, but she's just not normal. She can just just do so much and just crank things out. And one of the common questions I get is, do you sleep? And 
I think from being an athlete, I, I probably just put more pressure. I don't, it doesn't feel like pressure to me, but I'm going to say it this way. I just put pressure on myself to just always make sure I am staying ahead of the game because I don't want to be in a position where I'm where everyone is. I always want to be where everyone is going. One, just to stay ahead myself, but two, so I can reach back and say, hey, here's what to expect when you get, here's what it looks like. Let me help you out. And that's really important to me. And you just can't, you can't get stale. And one of the things I would tell myself when I was playing football, the the common phrase is short memory. But for me, sometimes that translates into you're only as good as the last thing you do. And and that can be taken negatively, of course, but it's a positive thing for me. I just always want to make sure I'm doing some kind of good. It's it's rare that I come into a situation where I, I meet a person or I have a thing and feel okay about leaving it the way it was when, when I found it. I always want to institute positive change in every, everything I do. And, and to be able to add value, I just have to make sure I just keep going. I got to keep going. And one of the things I tell myself is being smart gets you noticed, but being informed keeps you relevant. So for example, I I have a lot of sayings. I'll just say that now. But (laughs) an aside to that is when you have conversations with people, when you're networking, when you're talking, make sure you're saying something. Make sure there's something in what you're saying and, and it's not just words. And what I mean by that is there's something about what I'm doing right now, what I'm saying or how I'm helping people that has individuals interested in speaking with me or wanting my feedback, et cetera. But if I start to kind of taper off and not being involved, not be involved in as much or not have as much of a pulse on what's going on in the industry, my conversations are going to become less and less valuable. And I don't do it for myself. I do it because being in, in that, I guess you could say, realm allows me to shine a light on a path for others. And if my light dims, I'm not able to help. So I think my motivation after babbling all that time, it's just always making sure I'm in a position to have a meaningful impact in helping others. When looking at your impact, you have your doctorates going on right now. You founded your nonprofit. You're also VP of solution engineering. And I'm sure it makes a lot of sense as to why your members are asking you, where do you have the time to sleep? What are some of the things that you do to keep yourself refueled and engaged, especially during all of this? I'm sure you're working even harder during COVID. So how do you keep yourself out of the risk of getting burnt out? I'm really strict with my time. And actually, that was my struggle that I had to get through. I had to acknowledge that it's a struggle, even though my intentions were good. I had to own it so I could fix it. Because when this all first started, when COVID first started and I was first home and just not adjusted to the fact that I needed to put some gates around my time. Anytime someone reached out, I'm like, yeah, sure. Put some time on my calendar. We can do that. And I did get burnout. And I had to tell myself that it's okay uh, to say no. And I have to be really not selfish with my time, but I do have to, to guard it a bit because if I run myself into the ground, I'm no good for anyone. So from that perspective, I am really strict uh, with my time. So my time for work is my time for work. And it's Monday through Friday, these hours. And of course, I'm in a sales organization and things will pop up and that's fine, but it's got to be the exception and not the rule. Otherwise, these are my work hours. And then outside that, next comes my family. So I have a conversation with my family 
Let's talk about the days where you know, no matter what, you're going to have my attention, right? So it's in the evenings, this time from this time, I'm going to be upstairs out of my office. And then on the weekends, we either have these hours or this day, et cetera. And so then that tells me how much time I have left. And I say for myself, but it's not because I don't take me time or just chill or anything like that. It's okay. How much room do I have to pack stuff into? So that's that's me teaching at university and the PhD and, and the organization. So I actually started getting up earlier. My day starts at 5 a.m. Otherwise, I can't do all the things that I want to do. So I can't add hours to the day. <laughs> so I just start earlier and then I can do everything I want, basically. That's interesting that you brought up being strict with your time because we just talked about that on a live stream this week. We talked about having time to build your personal resilience. How do you refill your bucket? How do you recharge? Is it doing the the actions that you're doing and building Empower Her? Is it doing the studying that you're doing with your PhD program? How do you get the fuel tank charged back up? Yeah, I think my charge is a little superficial, Because my, not superficial, maybe not, I don't know the right word for it. So I'm going to use that word, but not real. Because I'm telling myself that I'm being fueled by the things that I'm doing. And it's because I'm passionate about them and I do get fulfillment out of it. But fulfillment is not the same thing as fuel. So if I'm being honest, one of my biggest weaknesses is self-care. And I typically don't know that I need to slow down until I need to slow down. But when I do, I just listen to my body and I reprioritize. I take the time I need to take and then it's off to the races again, typically. Nice. You make it sound so easy. I need to definitely take a page out of your book. (laughs) (laughs) I just for for me, it really is self-awareness. I used to try to tell myself, you know, that's not I don't have that bad habit. I don't do that. This is just situational. But I have learned myself really well. I know what my triggers are. I know what my tendencies are. And I'm honest. I'm like, all right, Tia, what's happening here? Let's take care of it. I think you said something that is really special for getting the most out of your day and also out of your career, which is waking up earlier. Like I'm sure when you wake up around 530, like you said, you probably do some of the more difficult things, the heavier lifts in the morning. Is that right? Or do you like to shift and prioritize your day differently? I do. So I I actually started getting up at 5 a.m. when I started my my PhD program, because that's, as you can imagine, not a light lift at all. The workload for a PhD program is like you don't have anything else going on. Like It can be a full-time job. So there's no way I was going to squeeze that in in an hour or two at the end of the day, even if I didn't have anything else going on. So you're absolutely right. I start my day with, so I take it in the week. So the PhD program is structured weekly. So when I get up at 5 a.m. on Monday, what I do is figure out what the week looks like. So I understand what the total load looks like. And then I break it up for myself over the days throughout the week. And if I want to have it trickle into the weekend or not, right, based on what's going on. And then I tell myself, okay, if, if I follow this structure, do I have time to get anything else done? in the morning. And then that's when I'll maybe uh, study for a certification or something like that. Yes, I'm studying for certifications too, but that's, that's extra, right? That's not something that's really time gated. So I had a little bit of extra time over the last couple of weeks. So I knocked out like the Microsoft 365 foundations and AWS CCP certifications in a couple of days, but now I'm getting to the more advanced ones. So I'll just squeeze in study time for those when I can. But yeah, it's almost if I stick to my plan, my extra time is a reward and then I can go do something that I can't fit 
in my into my schedule regularly. Tia, from our perspective, you are a superhero, and I know you're not going for accolades, but I think you're definitely building a legacy for the people that are listening right now, and especially the black women out there that are looking to build their legacy. What is the one piece of advice that you would give to them? I would say just do it. I One of the things I look back on and say to myself is, man, if you just would have picked this up when you felt like you wanted to, imagine the impact that you could be having right now. And I don't do that often. I'm very grateful for where I am. But just being afraid that something might not work out or maybe it's not a good idea, like who cares? What's the worst that can happen? Maybe it's a bad idea. That's okay. You tried it. And then you try the next one when it comes up. And the reality is the more you do, the more you can do, the less you're afraid to try. And regardless of whether it works out or not, it's an experience. And and I tell my mentees, my students, failure is temporary. So it's nothing to be afraid of. It's only permanent if you stop trying. So if you feel like you want to do something, do it and see what happens. Incredible advice. Tia, Thank you so much for being on the mics with us today. For all the folks that want to stay up to date with you and empower her, what is the best ways that people can do that? Yeah, so empower her. Uh, we are on all the social, the, the normal social channels, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter at Empower Her Cyber. The website is empowerhercyber.org. And then my personal website is tiahopkins.com. Excellent. Thanks again, Tia. We'll be sure to drop all of those links and resources in the show notes, and we'll see everyone next time. Awesome. Thanks. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. 